Welcome to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brannan, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. Ross Brannan is a financial advisor who knows it's not just about your teeth. He helps dental practice owners protect and maximize today's cash flow to plan for tomorrow's cash needs. Find him at rossbrannan.com. On the show, he brings together experts to help dental professionals looking to make smart money decisions to grow their income, turn their retirement goals into reality, and improve their lives. And now, here's your host, Ross Brannan. Welcome to the show. My guest today is Eric Swarver. Eric is an expert on dental startups with over 20 years of experience in the dental space. He has worked on projects assisting clients in starting, updating, and modernizing, transitioning, and purchasing dental practices. Eric, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ross. Good to see you. All right, so let's kind of jump right in here. You've got this thing called the two-hour dental startup, which people are like, what the heck? How do you start a dental, a dental practice in two hours? And it's a seminar where you lay out the process of opening a successful dental practice. Let's start first. And let me ask you, how many startups are unsuccessful? You know, it's first you got to define the terms of success. And I think that's just generally the biggest misnomer in the dental industry. If you look at the Small Business Association, they rate a dental practice at a 98% success rate with actually less than a 2% failure rate. And so you need to define what your terms of success are because there are plenty of dental practices on the market that are mediocre that might be breaking even after five years. And so I think you really need to understand what your goals are when you are starting a dental practice. No, that's really good. I was talking to someone recently and they were talking about wanting to reduce their body fat to a certain body fat percentage to a certain level. They were saying they want to get down here. I said, well, you need to go get your body fat tested. And they didn't want to do that basically because they were insecure, didn't want to know where they were at. And they were being a little bit dramatic about it because they're not overweight or anything, but they didn't want to, I was like, you have to know where you're at to measure your progress. And I think it's a really good point. What you're saying right there is you have to have a standard. Do you want to basically be, you know, barely making money? I've talked to practice owners who literally are making no money whatsoever. They're dying. And I'm like, how is this happening? When I know practice owners who are making millions of dollars a year, and it all comes down to knowing how to run a business, but also setting yourself up for success. So let's talk a little bit about this two-hour dental startup and what it is. Sure, absolutely. So it started from the fact that there is another dental seminar out there that's an outstanding seminar that teaches doctors not just really how to get started, but it teaches them the full process of it, who you need to use as your contractor, how you need to design your operatory, how you need to design your office, what systems you need in place. And dentists were paying an absorbent amount of money for great information. But what they really realize is they don't even know where to get started. They don't understand the fact that they need to, okay, do you need to get a loan first? Do you need to be talking to a real estate agent first? Do you need to have a design company first? Where do you get started? And so a lot of times when these doctors were presented to me, they didn't even have a letter from a financial institution pre-approving them for a loan. And so it makes it very difficult to go and talk to a landlord and put an LOI on a space when you're not even pre-approved from a bank. And so it, it just became this whole process of trial and error that I've seen over the years that I really wanted to get dentists on the right step of opening their own dental practice, become an entrepreneur. 
Well, and this is the thing I harp on so much is dental school teaches you nothing but clinical. Correct. I mean, you might have a couple of people in there who give a 30 minute financial talk, but it's nothing. It's it's usually about investing, it has nothing about running a business, nothing about risk management, nothing about lending or anything like that. And so, you know, nothing about managing people. I, I've met dentists who own their own practice who want to sell because they hate managing people. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, you're in the wrong business. And so, you know, this is really important to teach them practical real life lessons on how to get started. Because if you start on the wrong foot, you're behind the eight ball. And sometimes digging yourself out of a hole is a lot harder, or many times it's a lot harder than just starting in the right direction. Would you agree? Absolutely. A lot of times dentists can make a poor decision on location and it will take them one to three years just to catch up. If you put your dental office on the second floor in a strip center that doesn't have very good exposure and you're not willing to market your practice, it makes it more difficult than what that dental office does on the first floor. And you can do it, but it takes a few years to catch up. And and so there's so many decisions that need to be made during this process. They're important decisions that will impact the business down the road. And so really just even going from a loan, you know, my, my, my suggestion is in the very beginning is you need to get with a financial institution and start talking about them, start talking to them and seeing what it takes to open a dental practice. And they will actually give you a pre-approval letter from there. It's important to talk to a real estate agency. And, you know, I recommend a medical specific real estate agency. I don't mean your brother-in-law that has a real estate license and dabbles in commercial, but really does residential. You need to work with a real estate agency that really understands the market and really understands specifically dental. That's important. And to your point a minute ago, it's like on location, I have a client who his dental rep said, hey, check out this area when he started his practice. Well, it was a little more rural. And because of that, there was no competition. And he's killing it. He's got friends in the city who are dying uh, because there's like dental offices everywhere. And so you know, he doesn't have to market as much as others have to market. And it's a challenge. So what promoted you? I mean, what, what prompted you rather to really create this? I mean, you said there was a other, there was another seminar. That's a good seminar, but you said, was this a combination of like, well, they're missing a few things or is this, I, I can build a better mousetrap or is like, these are the things that I'm seeing people struggle with every day. Yeah. So uh, it's funny. I was actually meeting with a client at a Starbucks and we were having coffee at the Starbucks and he had mentioned that he was going to start a dental practice. And that dental practice was going to be in a building directly across the street. And if you knew where I was at, I was on Custer road in McKinney. I stood up and looked out this, this low arranged window. And all I saw was a dirt lot. It hadn't been graded. There hadn't been a foundation poured nothing. And he said he was going to be ready in eight weeks to accept equipment. And so I was with my associate, Richard. And to this day, he's like, dude, if you saw your face, like your jaw, you could not pick it up off the ground. Well, it's like the the amount of lack of self-awareness by that dentist was hilarious. Almost zero self-awareness. And I go, are you talking about that dirt lot there? And he goes, yeah, yeah. I'm going to have the space is going to be ready in, in eight weeks for me. And I go, Man, you're might be a year and eight weeks, but definitely not eight weeks. And and sure enough, it took a year and a half for that building to be built. And and at that moment, just going through this process with this specific dentist, and, and I see this process 
all the time. I had another client that missed a, an awesome opportunity for space because he didn't have a pre-approval letter from a financial institution saying he was ready to go. And, and, and so when, when I saw so many mistakes, I realized that they just need to know where to get started. I actually want to go back to a point you had made. You said you had a, a client that opened up in a rural area. So during this process, I actually identify there's only two dental practices left. And I go over this in, in the very beginning of, of my seminars. There is a community-based practice, which is in the rural, rural area. Your overhead's lower. Your land costs are lower. Your uh, labor rates are lower. And, and you, you have more loyalty from your labor. And so, you know, the opportunity to compete in an environment like that is so much better than what I call a market-driven dental practice, which is you need to set aside between 10 and 15% of your revenue to really have great marketing for your first couple of years. And then after that, it's going to be probably eight to 10% because you have to outmarket the 10 dentists that are within probably a, a mile and a half of you. So the question is, is where would you rather compete? Yeah, it's not even, not even close. It's not even really close. It's, you know, I know it may be sexy to be in downtown or be in the uh, super populated suburban area, but when you've got five dentists within three quarters of a mile, that just doesn't make sense. And so you got to be strategic and make a business decision. So besides location, which is huge, what are some other areas that really people don't think through when they're starting a dental practice? You know, I think... In my market, most startups actually utilize a dental realtor. However, as an aggregate across the country, I don't think most do. And in, in location, location, location is probably the most important part of the entire process. You have to be accessible. You don't truly have to be visible, but it's important to be visible. But accessibility, I think, actually outweighs visibility these days because with online marketing, social media, you know, as long as the building's accessible by the public, they can find you and they can find you online because that's where most patients are looking for their dentists these days. Yeah, that, that that's interesting because, you know, obviously you could go talk to any commercial guy and like, oh yeah, I can help you, any commercial real estate agent. Well, he might focus on shopping centers or he might focus on office leasing or he might, you know, like not dental office, but just office. Yeah. Or he just might be a land guy because there's so many niches in that. And you really need to deal with, you know, a medical dental person in that regard. Let's talk a little bit about equipment. You know, one of the things that I see is a lot of equipment guys will go and try to sell a big machine in December because it's a big deduction. And because if they're doing well, they need a deduction. And I'm all about getting the deduction. But sometimes these guys don't actually put the pencil to the paper. Like, what's my ROI on this machine? You don't want to spend a dollar to save 37 cents. Even if it's a great machine, you have to be able to use it. Well, how, do, how do you deal with those types of conversations with clients? And what do you recommend? Because I'm sure you see it all the time. People buy, they sell something somebody doesn't need, or they buy something they don't need because they're all well-intentioned and reality is a different story. So believe it or not, I spend about half the process of specifically a startup talking with dentists on what their needs and wants are. And every general dentist that comes to me in the very beginning goes, I need a cone beam. I want a cone beam. 
and, and through a discovery process, I always ask them, you know, why, what do you plan on doing with this cone beam? Do you plan on taking a shot on every patient or are you going to utilize it for specific procedures? And most dentists recognize that they're going to utilize it for endo, for any oral surgery, definitely implantology. And, and beyond that, they're not going to do a shot on every patient, which that's truly the way to utilize a cone beam on a startup. And so if that's not the answer I get, I actually spend more time talking them out of that investment and the startup process than I do talking them into it. So it's actually, you know, it definitely goes against uh, my pocketbook, but it's really what's in the best interest of the dentist because, you know, you're looking at a cone beam on the low end, $60,000. It's going to take a lot of implants to cover that $60,000. Right. And they're not going to do it their first year or second year. They're going to probably start, start that process by their third year. So what is something that most dentists are completely unaware of that they absolutely are missing when they go through this process? You know, obviously they've got the location squared away. They've got, you know, they're not going to buy the cone beam, but what are they not thinking about that is really a big deal and they're missing the boat on? Oh, branding is one thing. I consistently see them that they look to get an icon. They want their logo. They want to come up with their practice name, but in their mind, that's their branding and that's it. And on a very low scale, you can argue, arguably say that that is branding, but they really need to sit down. And this is so, you know, just soul searching, figure out who they are. They want to make sure that they're not presenting themselves as somebody as they're not, they're not, because if you're going to be in this business for any short, in any period of time, at some point, if you're not something, it's going to come to the surface. And so I think it's really important to figure out who you are and represent your practice based on who you are. And if you represent something that that's not who you are, it will eventually show. And I see, I see it time and time again. And, and realistically, you know, right, right now within dentistry, there's a, a labor shortage and definitely some frictional labor issues. And a lot of times people are leaving one office to go to another office for a dollar an hour. But if, if you have a charismatic dentist and they set the right tone in their practice, you know, it's not going to just help the branding externally. It's going to convince people that work with you go, I want to work with Dr. XYZ because he is literally the best fit for me. And so I think it's going to help internally as well, but it's hard to do. So I talk about this a lot. I talk about there's two spectrums, two opposite ends of the spectrum for dentists who own their own practice. And one of them is they own a job. It's a really good job. They make a good income, you know, relative to the average American, but they own a job and they work, you know, three and a half, four days a week. And then there's the dentist who is a business owner or he's a business owner who happens to be a dentist. And they're making seven figures, some of which you know, multiple seven figures. Do you see that in your, in your world when you're, when you're helping these guys start up, can you tell right away, you know, Oh, this guy, Oh, he's going to be able to grow this thing or well, they're going to do well, but they're probably not going to grow this thing big. In most cases. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can think of three dentists off the top of my head in the last five years that had this very direct vision. I, I work with this pediatric dentist and I'm, I'm not going to say his name, but he's an amazing person. And he taught karate in high school and he came into contact with a pediatric dentist that said, Hey, look, I think you should come work for me. I think you're great with kids. And I think you should come work for me. By the time he was a senior in high school, he knew he wanted to be a pediatric dentist. Wow. And he fulfilled that vision. And so he came to me during the startup process and he said, Hey, look, this is what I want to do. I don't want to make a billion dollars doing this. 
but I want to be the best in the area and I want to provide the best service that I can provide. And I want to treat people. I don't want to treat mouths. It just so happens that I'm working in mouths, but I want to treat people. And that, that was his vision. And due to his intensity and the way he explained it to me, I was like, this guy's got it. This guy. And so now fast forward, it's almost, I think it's been three years now, maybe four he's killing it. And he he's, he's busting at the seams at his space now in a competitive market. He's in an extremely competitive market, but he created a demand for himself. And I think like when you look at this, you can look at the simple simplicity of economics, there's supply and demand. You can supply dentistry to a certain community and you're going to survive and, you know, eke out a job for yourself. Or if you go into a community, you can create demand for yourself. And that's what I think accelerates these practices that do extremely well. Yeah, it's just really amazing what people are doing. Now, obviously, there's nothing to take away for anyone who owns a job. Right. Now, saying you own a job, some people might not like that. It could be, but it's whatever you want. If you're happy doing that, and that's what I might almost call more of a lifestyle practice, if you will, that's great. I have plenty of people like that. The challenge is when inflation becomes an issue, when insurance payouts keep going down, it's yeah. going to squeeze you. And along those lines, let's talk a little bit about insurance versus fee for service. Do you have a lot of clients who are on both sides of that? So I have some pre-existing clients that I've worked with for 15 years that are fee for service. Right. I have a few offices that have done a startup as fee for service and they've, they've done well, but it's definitely, you know, your marketing efforts have to be top notch. When that patient comes in the door, the individual at the front needs to be smiling. You need to have cold water in the refrigerator. You need to greet them immediately. It has to be an exceptional level of service in order in, in, in the DFW market in order to provide that. If you're in a rural market, you can be 100% fee for service because you're pulling from all other communities and it's like an oligopoly. There's only like two or three dentists in that market. And so, you know, from that standpoint, you can provide whatever service you want and charge whatever you want because there's not a lot of competition in that market. Is there a mindset issue on the fee for service? I've heard people say, well, my patients, they're not that demographic, you know, they couldn't afford fee for service. Is, is, that, is that a legitimate thing or is that a mindset issue? It, it really depends on what market you're in. You know, just like I, I kind of stated before, if you're in a competitive, heavily competitive market, it benefits you to be in network with a PPO. If you're not in a competitive market, and, and this is all like for a sense of immediacy in the short right. run, if you're not in a, a competitive market, then it definitely benefits you to be a fee-for-service. One thing that dentists need to be very conscious of is what's called shared agreements. And so, you know, you can see these large companies that have popped up that are umbrella companies that get you a network with several insurance companies. That is generally a better option than being in network with 10 different companies because with 10 different insurance companies, because they do what's called shared agreements. So if you're on one plan and then you're on another plan and they recognize each other as shared agreements, your major plan will pay out the lesser amount because of that. And that's what's really, really killing a lot of these dentists is shared agreements. So if I was a fresh dental school grad, well, actually, let me step back. Do you recommend starting a practice on your own right out of dental school, or do you recommend being an associate for a year or two first? So 20 years ago, it used to be right out of school. Nowadays, you might have one 
graduating student start their own dental practice. And so my is that because they have the guts or is that just because it's it's a smarter to go work for somebody else first? A lot of them like to, you know, it's funny that you asked this. So I met with a dentist yesterday and he was like, man, COVID has screwed up dental school. He goes, you know, I have this girl, she's a D4. I'm interviewing her as an associate and she hasn't done one root canal on a live patient and she's going to graduate. He goes, when I was in dental school, he goes, by the time I graduated, I probably had 25 under my belt. And yeah. And so his concern is he was like, Hey, I think you need to go either AGD, which is a graduate program, or I think you need to go work two years. And then, you know, I'll look at hiring you as an associate. This is a private practice. This isn't a a DSO. And so it really depends on the individual skill set and their confidence level. If they're confident in their skills, you know, by all means, go into private practice. I work with this guy that he's pretty young. He's young 30s. He's been in private practice for about five years, uh, recently sold his practice and bought a more successful practice. And, you know, you would look at him and go, I can't believe that he's working in a practice that has 11 chairs and that produces what it produces. And his skill set's off the charts. You talk to anybody that graduated with him, they, they said he, he's probably clinically one of the best dentists. And he has a brilliant business mind. And, and so somebody like that, absolutely go open your practice year one. But if you don't have the skill set to do it clinically, I believe it is important to go and grind out, you know, a few months, six months to a year to really improve your skill set. So if I was a brand new dental school graduate and I was going to start a practice, like what are the three steps that I need to make sure I do, you know, to, to give my chance, give myself a chance at success? Brand new dental student graduate looking to open a practice, three steps. Number one is make sure when you're in dental school, you are paying attention and clinically you're ready to go. And it's important. I recommend this to anybody that's going to start a business. It doesn't have to be a dentist. Get a mentor. Find a mentor in business and work with them and ask them to be your mentor. Don't don't uh, just make it like a monthly phone call. And then after six months, they realize, oh, I'm mentoring this kid. No, literally ask an individual that you respect that has paved the way before to be your mentor and have a start period and a start stop period. I think it's important when you do have a mentor that you're, you're rotating mentors. You don't have the same mentor through your entire career because then you're just kind of getting the, the survey of one. Number two, if you're a dentist, of course, have a clinical mentor, find somebody that's maybe five to eight years older that have been, that has been out five to eight years longer. They've seen a little bit more than you. And so try to set up a Zoom with them once a month. Technology is amazing. Set up a Zoom with them and review a few cases that were tough and review a few that were easy. Because for every failure, you also need a few, a few wins too. And so I think it's important to, uh, to have a mentor during that process. And then of course, number three, educate yourself. The most important thing you can do and the best investment you can do in business is educate yourself in business. And so either take some courses on that, uh, take some accelerated courses on that, you know, there's, there's a plethora of information available. Just make sure that you're filtering out bad information from good information. So you're in the Dallas Fort Worth area. So if there's a dentist listening and they're in the DFW area, they need to be calling you. But if I live in, you know, Chicago, Illinois or Denver, Colorado or Atlanta, and I can't have you as my dental rep, but I can call you and we'll get to your contact information in a second. What do they need to look for in a dental supply rep that they know they're working with the right guy? Yeah, great question. So one thing that I do is I actually sell goop and goo. I sell supplies. 
And I work with an associate that sells nothing but equipment. And one thing that I did early on in my career is I wanted to understand equipment. I wanted to understand it because what I did before, I I worked for a manufacturer that worked with retail reps like me. And I worked with this gentleman in West Texas. His name was Dan Hatch. And he was an amazing supply guy. But when it came to equipment, he was even better. And the reason why he was better is because that's a number one, what he sold. And, And I asked him one time, I said, why are you so involved in that process? And he said, you know what? Because when it's all said and done, and the sale is closed, the equipment rep is down the street, and I'm the guy that's seeing that doctor every two to three weeks. And so I have to take ownership in it. And so I took that pretty seriously early on in my career. And so it's the same thing. The most important thing a dentist can do is don't contact the equipment rep first. Find a supply rep that you want a long-term relationship with and contact them first. And then work through them to make a contact with an equipment rep and work through the equipment section that way. So how can people get in touch with you if they have questions, if they want to learn more about the two-hour dental startup, or they just want to pick your brand and everything? Yeah, you bet. So, uh, you know, I take phone calls all over the United States. I'll answer any question. Two things. You can either contact me via email, which is E-S-W-A-R-V-A-R at gmail.com. And I also wrote a book. I wrote a book that's available on Amazon, but if you, uh, you know, Hit me up on email. I will send you a copy of that book free of charge. And what's the what's the book called? It's just called The Dental Startup. So, uh, you know, it, I did it based on uh, optimizing for searches. You know, anybody that types in a book that says book dental startup, it comes up. And you take calls. You want to give your phone number out? Absolutely. It's 817-808-5568. Definitely give me a call and I'll answer just about any question you've got. One more time, just in case. 817-808-5568. Five five six eight. Well, Eric, I really appreciate your time today. This has been a very insightful conversation. A lot of things, a lot of nuggets of wisdom that a lot of people don't hear. So thank you so much for your time. Ross, I appreciate you. Have a good day. You've been listening to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brannan. This has been another episode of Financial Flossing with Ross Brannan, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. If you liked what you heard, consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. For more on Ross Brannan, visit rossbrannan.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PASS, Guardian, or North Florida Financial, and opinions stated are their own. External sites and materials are provided for your convenience in locating related information and services. Guardian and subsidiaries, agents, and employees expressly disclaim any responsibility for and do not maintain, control, recommend, or endorse third-party sites, organizations, products, or services, and make no representation as to the completeness, suitability, or quality thereof. Ross is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, OSJ, 3664 Coolidge Court, Tallahassee, Florida, 32311, 850-562-9075. Security products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. North Florida Financial is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. Arkansas insurance license number 16139032. California insurance license number 0L100732022-146162 expires 1024. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>